Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. It is. uh, We're live. Let me turn this off so I don't mess this up. There we go. Hi, we're live, everyone. It is, uh, let's see, the 4th. It is still the 4th. Usually we do this the day after because the fights have ended late into the night. Today, that is not the occasion. Welcome. This is the Bellator 290 Morning Combat post-fight show, instant reaction, you name it. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas, of course. I'm one half of the hosting duo from Regular Morning Combat. Brian Campbell is off doing CBS Sports HQ stuff. You can go see his analysis if you like, but if you stick around here, I'll host this program here tonight. We'll go through the results from the main card for Bellator 290, which just finished on CBS. This was Bellator's debut on CBS. We'll talk some about that. Uh, and, of course, it was Fedor Emelianenko's last fight. He retired in the cage. It was a... Uh, depressing affair. All right. So, if excuse me, if you don't want spoilers, why? Well, I, I mean, who cares anymore? Who cares? Who cares about any of that stuff? Right? Let's just get this party started, shall we? Thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. You know all the good stuff that makes everything here better. All right. Let's do this, please. And we're back. All right. All right. All right. And as a reminder, yo. Hit that subscription button. Do us a solid. All right. Let's get to these results. So, this took place... I didn't realize they had renamed the forum. So, it's now called the Kia Forum. Or just Kia Forum, anyway. In uh, Inglewood, California. This is just outside Los Angeles. Basically, it's a suburb of of some kind of way of looking at it. All right. Neither here nor there. Bellator 290 headline. Ryan Bader defeats... Fedor Emelianenko via TKO at 2.30 of round one. I mean, it, I mean, you know, we knew it was not going to go any other way. I Even on Friday's MK when we were breaking it down, I wanted to sort of give life to the idea about what a Fedor pick might look like if you could make one, and I hitched my wagon to it. But I even openly said that like BC's pick and the pick for Bader was the correct one, and it was. I mean, there was – listen, we <laughs> – you know, I mean, I could go down the list. This is hardly exhaustive, but – even just recently, Frankie Edgar. I'm not putting Frankie as necessarily on par with Fedor's achievements, but I think a beloved figure of the game who was highly accomplished. Trying to get a retirement fight in Madison Square Garden, and that was a little bit different. You know, they kind of booked him, Chris Gutierrez, which was a very difficult fight for him to to win at that juncture, but of course he gets iced. Terrible. And then we had Shogun recently at UFC 283 against Ihor Potieria and... Same thing. We were all like, all right, maybe there's just a little bit of that Shogun magic left. And, of course, he gets iced. And then you thought you thought maybe, maybe, maybe. Like, you knew Bader was going to win. You know, but you thought maybe. 
a guy like Fedor could pull out something spectacular and wow us one last time, and it just wasn't to be, of course. Uh, he didn't. He got iced. What happened? He gets hit with a punch, basically kind of like on the back of the head. He falls. Ryan Bader gets on top, tries to finish him from full guard, moves to half. Fedor tries to turn over. Bader goes behind the back and then captures his wrist, pulls it about from under him. That does two things. One, it sucks the near side shoulder into the mat. That's the first thing that it does when you pull it. I mean, just think about it. This is the end of the lever, right? So if you pull it enough, what happens to the shoulder? It turns. So that partly it drives them back into the mat. <clears throat> it also, uh, we, we, if you watched one of my Mackenzie Dern breakdowns, one of the things I talked about was getting a stable position from which to ground and pound. And one of the ways you can do that, of course, is from the back with you have, when you have wrist control. And, of course, she finds the back very often. Bader didn't have the back, but that behind-the-back control effectively has a very similar kind of property where you can also balance yourself to, you know fire down shots and they only have one hand to protect themselves which is insufficient to do the job effectively and so referee Herb Dean intervenes and then that's that uh, Ryan Bader wins he retains his Bellator heavyweight title and that's that Ryan Bader becomes the second excuse me the first person to ever defeat Fedor twice although at this point um, certainly I don't want to take anything away from Ryan Bader. He even said when this fight was offered to him, he wasn't necessarily all that interested in it. And Fedor is 46, he'll be 47 in September. You know, I think he had some other designs, but perhaps because the, the, perhaps because the promotion wanted it, perhaps it was something that they were trying to make big enough for CBS that they, they booked the fight. But, you know, I think let this be a reminder to everyone that, <laughs> the last... Uh, okay, how about this? It almost doesn't even matter how good they were, how much money they made, or how otherwise they were adored by the fan base. It turns out that effectively sticking the landing of the last part of your career as a prize fighter, it trips a lot of them up. <laughs> uh, even the very best ones can't get it right. And that tells you how hard it must be for all the myriad reasons. Sometimes they are broke. Sometimes they're not. <clears throat> sometimes they don't know when to quit. Sometimes they, I mean, who knows? It's a it, it, myriad reasons why they want to prove to themselves something or whatever. Uh, Fedor seemed to be ready to be done with it. So I don't think he had anything to prove left to himself. He had nothing left to prove tonight. Would have been great if he had won in terms of all the feels, but he didn't have anything to prove. Um, but uh, anyway, it's just, you know, it's depressing. But um Anyway, Bader didn't really want to take the fight, and he did anyway, and it's uh, it's a good win uh, in the sense that he stays relevant. It was on CBS, um, but, you know, it's significant value I don't really know anymore. But getting back to the point about sticking the landing, like, Habib stuck the landing, right? And you could say, well, he got out early. Is that really sticking the landing? What I mean is you're just not crawling out in a, in a diminished state relative to what you were, right? That's what I mean. Like, you could end on a loss and it wouldn't necessarily be some kind of tragic thing. And this isn't tragic necessarily either. It wasn't some, like, prolonged beating or something like that. It wasn't that. But um, the point being is Fedor went out in this kind of a state, which was not terrible. And, by the way, like, Scott Coker doing that thing where there's Josh Barnett and Couture and Frank Shamrock and Henzo and, like, all these, like, Mark Coleman's and all these other guys up there. That was a cool scene for him to retire like that. Um, but to point out, like, in terms of the, the, how the fight went, 
it didn't go great for Fedor. In terms of how the fight went, uh, for Silva in MMA, it didn't really go the way he wanted to. It wasn't some kind of beating, but it was just, uh, you know, it felt so unnecessary after the fact. Like, why did we have to go through that? That seemed pointless uh, to, a, to a degree. And then, of course, the other ones I've already mentioned. Like, it's very, very difficult to stick the landing. The, the very, very best prize fighters don't get it right. Uh, Habib got it right, and GSP got it right. And GSP almost got it wrong. I mean, he got it right in the sense that he walked away after the Hendricks fight, which I thought he lost that fight. But either way, he wins it and then gives the title back. That was pretty good. Coming back and then winning the title against Bisping, that's crazy next level amazing. But what did he also do? He got right back the fuck out. He got right out again. You know, he didn't, he didn't waste any time. Um, you can't beat the clock in this game. You just can't. You have to get out early. You ha- it's some, some version of early, some version of, you know, B- GSP did the thief in the night bit. But in general, you have to get out early, and he didn't. And uh, tonight, Fedor didn't. And he, and you know, this is the, this is what you're going to get. I, I mean, there's a few thoughts I had about the whole thing. Uh, there's not really a big fight to break down in this case, but it's more about the career of Fedor. You know, is he the best heavyweight of all time? I think that he is. At least at a, at a bare minimum, I think he's got the most distinguished record. Let me just say a couple things about Fedor beyond just the fact of he either he is the best heavyweight of all time or um, he's certainly like at worst number two. Uh, he used to be in much more of a contention for best fighter of all time. I think that has slipped through his grasp a little bit, but at the heavyweight division, I think it stays. But there's something else that really occurs to me beyond just how difficult it is to stick the landing and Fedor's status, which is that tonight felt uh, for me as someone who's been watching MMA quite a while at this point, um, and then covering it professionally for also a pretty long time. Tonight, to me, felt more like the end of Pride than I'd felt in a long time. Uh, Mike Bond had a tweet recently where, with the retirement of Shogun, he was the last guy on the existing UFC roster to fight in Pride in Japan. You have Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler, who, by the way, are not going to be in the promotion much longer. They did fight in Pride, but never in Japan. They fought in the Las Vegas show. Uh, and so that doesn't really... I mean, it's not that it doesn't count. It, that, that was that was real Pride, but it wasn't real Pride in Japan. Fedor, uh, excuse me, Shogun was the last. So that means that there's no one on the UFC roster who's done that. I don't think there's anyone on the Bellator roster who did that either. Fedor, like, like he was the guy at Pride. He was the most important guy there. I mean, I'm, and from the Japanese perspective, maybe it's Sakuraba. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know how historically they view that. Certainly, he was an, an a massive figure. For folks who may not know, Sakuraba Kazushi Sakuraba was like the best way to explain Kazushi Sakuraba is what someone once told me was: imagine if Hulk Hogan in his prime could fight like actually really well in MMA and did both. You'd be like, you know, like what? Like it's hard to even fathom what that would mean. Like that's what he was. So maybe to the Japanese that's different, but at least to, them, to I think. To fans like me at the time, you know, and um, in North America, um, he's he's the most important figure out of that organization. Again, a guy who had a claim to be the best ever at a certain point, certainly the best heavyweight uh, out of that crop, no doubt about it. And you know, again, arguably in, in the in the overall scope of MMA history, man, if you have, we did it for resume review, and it like it honestly like took my breath away when I did it. If you have a Fight Pass subscription, someone once asked me who it was. I forget who it was. Like, what's the value of a Fight Pass subscription? I don't watch anything live on Fight Pass. I pay just for the library. And I, to me, it's worth 
every penny. It's so valuable to have a resource like that to be able to go and look stuff up. If you've never seen like the 03, 04, 05 version of Fedor, and really kind of in the closer to 03, 04, if you've never seen that, dude, you've just never seen Fedor. Like what you saw tonight, I mean, this is the, you know, <laughs> I don't want to diminish the man. He is obviously a figure of adoration and we revere him all, but the version that was there tonight that's not even a pimple on the ass of the guy who fought in pride it's they're not they barely it's barely the same guy at all if you go back and watch like the fights against Schilt Herring the first Nogueira fight obviously the Krokop fight is a fucking technical masterpiece um you know the Mark Hunt fight and I could go on and on and on through even even like when shitty Noya Ogawa refused to shake his hands and he went in there and just fucking dropped bombs on him the Fujita fight where he got hurt dude you you have to go see what a, a prime Fedor Emelianenko looked like I did a totally unscientific but kind of fun little thread on Twitter today I, I asked what was the first time you ever saw Fedor compete live Right, not like I caught a DVD, I caught a clip, like sat down and watched a live Fatal Fight. What was the first one? And the vast majority of them, quite understandably, given who I was polling, were giving were basically giving answers like Strike Force or Affliction or you know whenever MMA had made its way to U.S. airwaves, basically, um, which tells you that they the vast majority. And yes, you could have gotten Pride, but they, I, most of them were like post Pride, Bodog, and after that, like it's kind of crazy that Pride and all its illustrious. Splendor never got noticed, and Bodog did. But, um, uh, and what that tells me is that the vast majority of people who watch Fedor today barely understand who he actually was. Even by the time he got to Strike Force, he was a diminished version of himself a little bit. Still very good, but not not the guy that he once was. Uh, and so this is he like he he should have retired in my judgment quite a long while ago. Um, just to you know, I, well you know what he got the Timothy Johnson. The Timothy Johnson win should have been probably the end, right? Because that was in Russia. He gets this incredible win over a ranked top guy in this organization. He puts his lights out. Like, that was tremendous. And to do that at, you know, 45 or whatever he was, 46 potentially even, is just, it's insane. It's insane that he was able to do that. So that's great. That probably should have been the end. But, you know, he retired several times before this, and then he had the terrible Fabio Maldonado fight, which was a disaster for him. He's had a series of these where he kind of thought, like, he could have he could have hung it up a little bit earlier, but either way, man, if you just if you've never taken the time to do it, you're only hurting yourself. If you've never taken the time to go through Fight Pass and actually sit down and watch that run, that run he was on when he was like the top guy in his twenties as the Pride Heavyweight Champion, you've just never you've never seen Fedor and you've never seen another fighter quite like that. Cain Velasquez was an overwhelming force of nature, but in a very different way. Right, Brock Lesnar was an overwhelming force of nature, but in a very different kind of way. And they they were just you know this was a middleweight who was up there competing with heavyweights basically, and he was throwing them around and he was catching with punches from angles and with timing that they never saw and blending the game and uh, putting a blueprint blueprint to ground. Dude, he wrote the fucking blueprint on um, you know how to beat Noguera basically. At the time, that was you know considered impossibly difficult he did it like it was nothing um so you know i i don't know how much these entreaties ever actually work and get people to go do it but let me just just say like if you do it if you actually sit down and really go and watch 
you will be so rewarded with a, with an additional perspective on what like greatness looks like and how early he was achieving it and in what ways he was so vastly ahead of the game. But like this was the other part too. Like I remember when I was doing research for the resume review that we did for Morning Combat. I remember that I uh, I was watching him. Like you know, for example, like tonight he gets underneath Bader, Bader goes behind the back and again gets that wrist control and then sucks that wrist out. You know, guys just weren't doing that in the era in which he was great. Like there's parts of the game that have just technically evolved past what he really knows how to do. And that's that's sports, right? Like they, the game is just different as it moves on. Uh, but the other part about the reality of him is that like he never spent a lot of time underneath. Like guys would take him down and they'd either get armbarred, like Mark Coleman got armbarred, for example, in a very similar kind of way. You know, even Hongman Choi was a similar kind of situation. But, like, you know, that would happen fairly regularly. Uh, or, you know, he would at least, at least threaten from underneath. Or he would get reversals. He would end up back on top. And with, like, the modern wrestler, he would kind of get trapped. But the other part is um, when you just look at how athletic he was in his prime, you can tell that, like, it's not like he didn't have things that made him technically advanced. He was. He was, but there was also a reality that his game was very much lifted and affected the style that he brought by, at the time, he was really benefited by extraordinary athleticism and explosive athletic ability. Like, he really had it in spades um, during his late 20s. Uh, but as that faded, so too did his game. And again, he was so great that he was able to make it work for another ways for long periods of time. But, you know, that was always going to be a thing. I heard him at 46. That was just... <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the fight game. Like, you can't you can't fight at these ages and beat guys. Bader's not young, but he's still in his 30s, you know, 39, barely. So he's still barely there. But, you know, he's still, I mean, imagine Fedor seven years ago, right? <laughs> that's, that's what we're talking about here. So um, kind, of a, kind of a real bookend moment for Pride FC tonight. Kind of a real bookend moment. Um. It's a new sport, it's a new era, it's a new day, and that's that's the way that it goes. Kind of sad that there's a lot of people who never saw Fedor there, are familiar with Pride, and got to enjoy it while it was around. It was, when I tell you that there's been absolutely not a single thing like it since, I'm not exaggerating it. It, it really is, and I know people hate to hear this sometimes, it's like, ah, you know, why are you telling us about things we can't enjoy? I don't know. It's it, it's still a living part of our experiences in a way, right? Like, I can go back and watch them. I remember where I was when I watched some of these in real time and, and how I felt and who I was with. And anyway, you know, it's kind of old man reminiscing, but that's what you got tonight. Um, before we move on to the co-main, I do want to talk about the broader, like the overall broadcast and then the, like how this event went. Obviously, I have no idea how the ratings are going to go. I don't know what something like this can pull in modern television. I It also aired on Paramount+. Plus. I don't know what that's going to do to viewership. I really have no idea. Um, I will say I, I wasn't... Um, I didn't think it was a heavily promoted card. I didn't think it was crazily promoted. I thought it was promoted okay. Um, but not like overwhelmingly. I thought that was a bit of an issue. I don't know how much of the promos aired at all on CBS because I don't really watch linear TV hardly at all, so maybe you guys can speak better to that. So that would be curious to see. In terms of the broadcast itself, I thought that they did a good job with Fedor and making it feel big and like being reverential towards him. I thought that was great. Um, 
But I thought there was a couple of missed opportunities. One, why did they not show the Lorenz Larkin fight? The whole thing was a minute and 41 seconds. They had a minute and 41 seconds to sneak into that broadcast to show that, which I thought would have been just great for the viewers at home and really added to the overall enjoyment factor of the evening. And again, we're only talking about a minute and 41 seconds. You know, a little bit more than that because they have to show a few things, but not, not a substantial amount of time in the broadcast. Um, and I feel like there's so many things that they throw to in the broadcast that it doesn't give them the leeway to add things like that. This is just my personal opinion. I don't speak on behalf of, I am a CBS employee, so, you know, I'm just telling you how I felt as a viewer. I, I, I would have preferred to have seen Lorenz Larkin versus Burkhamov or Burkhamov, however you pronounce it, or Burkhamov. I'm not sure how they pronounce it on the broadcast. I would have preferred to have seen that for sure, uh, versus not on that broadcast. I think it would have been great for them. So that was interesting. Um, what else did I notice about the broadcast? The crowd seemed very silent. I don't know if that's... I don't know what that was. I it's, I don't know how many numbers on the attendance. It seemed well attended. Um, but the crowd... You know, they would perk up when action would happen, but they weren't otherwise super engaged. Um, so that kind of got my attention. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things that sort of stood out on the broadcast that I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah, aside from the Larkin thing... And then the crowd being silent, I, I I overall enjoyed the broadcast. It was pretty quick in the sense that, like, you know, it was two hours. You got three fights. It's about what you want. One of them was five-rounder. Um, that was fine. <coughs> but in terms of, like, the impact it had, like, I don't even know if it's trending. Let me see if it's trending on Twitter. I don't even know if it is. Yeah, I mean, UFC Vegas 68 is trending on mine, and I don't see... Let me pull up... Is it trending in sports, even? Uh, Alicia Bumgarner. Ryan Bader is. Ryan Bader is. I'm surprised Fedor's not. Um, That's amazing that Ryan... Oh, yeah, Fedor kind of is, yeah. A little bit. Um, But, you know, the, the event by name isn't. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how this one's going to do. Candidly, I don't know. It might do well. I, I really I don't know what the benchmarks are internally for success either. Like, what do they consider success? I don't know. They don't share these memos with me. But I think they made a mistake not showing the Larkin fight. And um, crowd was a little weird. Crowd was a little weird. Uh, I don't really know what to make of that. But, okay. Moving down the card. Your co-main event. Johnny Eblen defeats Anatoly Tokov. 50-45 and then 249-46 is unanimous decision. Johnny Eblen is the most unheralded champion uh, among major MMA organizations today in any weight class. Um, I don't. That's not me telling you that I can declare with total confidence that he's the very best middleweight. I don't know that. I don't know if he's the very best middleweight. This is not me declaring to you he's going to beat all of your favorite fighters if the UFC ever signs him. It's not what I'm suggesting either. What I am saying is relative to what he can do and relative to what he's accomplished, matched against the acclaim he gets for it, I mean, there's just a yawning gap in between. Um, I got news for you. Like, I don't know if Johnny Eblen is the best middleweight on earth. I, th- I tend to think probably not. At least not right now. Not right now. But... He probably gives Alex Pereira a hard time, real hard time, just stylistically. He gives him a hard time, uh, and and might just beat his ass. Like it could actually be ugly. 
Like that 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 I'm not declaring to you like that would happen, but that you you could not dismiss that at all. I mean, let's sort of talk about what makes him good, right? He has striking that still is in development. I think you can see that. But he's got the ability to um he's got good linear punches, right? I mean, what was the punch that was giving Tokov so many problems? The one two. The one two. He could not miss with that one two. That right hand was sticking Tokov flush over and over and over again. I, I was like, holy smoke, that thing is just dynamite. Um, and, you know, he had a lot of winging punches off balance and then trying to switch through stances. Like, that stuff needs a little bit of work. You know, that that's not like his strong suit. But he's got good, respectable power. I would call his striking um, more than functional, like valuable. Like, he can, he can stand with it and do with it. He can win. But what really sort of sets him apart is that his striking is not the best, but it's good. And he's got good power. He's got great cardio, and that that dude can just wrestle you until until he it, for forever. He's a perpetual motion machine, and that's at that's at 185 pounds. He reminds me a little bit, a little bit. Not it, it, this is not quite the right thing because the guy I'm about to say is much better as a uh, at weaving in the submission threat. But like when Chris Weidman was on his game, it was a little bit like this. Again, Weidman had a little bit more slickness with the boxing, a little more slickness with the submission game, um, but it felt a little bit like what you're getting out of this, like a big, strong middleweight who has the gas tank to go forever. He can push the pace if he needs to. He's got good power. He can punch you, uh, push you back with his striking. He can land on you. He can. Um, he has you know reasonable striking defense. And uh, when he mixes all of it together, it just becomes overwhelming. Like That's the kind of game that he's got. And it's, uh, it's, I don't know who in that organization can beat him. He will only get beat if he makes some kind of error or a one in a million shot lands or he doesn't prepare right. But if he's healthy and if he prepares and if, you know, Father Time doesn't whip his ass, he's going to hold on to that belt for some time. Let me pull up the Bellator middleweight rankings. I don't do the rankings for Bellator, so I couldn't tell you who they have up here. Let's see. So current... Middleweight. Here's your middleweights. Uh, Fabian Edwards will probably be the next one. Tokov was the one sitting in that same space. Salter, who he already beat. Rasta. Rasta's only got eight fights, eight or nine fights. Then Aaron Jeffrey, Austin Vanderford. Lorenz Larkin was an interesting one. And then Romero Cotton. So there's a couple of names in there. you know. And Larkin is obviously a much better, a much better striker than Johnny Evelyn. But overall game in terms of just the amount of effort that guy can apply to you and what it can all result in, ugh, that's a lot to deal with. That's a lot to deal with. So early I thought uh, I thought Tokov took maybe the first or second round. I think the first round. I thought Evelyn made a strong comeback in the second. Uh, had to push through like the tide. Like I think he kind of squeaked it out. And in the third round, I thought Tokov was really taking it to him, but then Evelyn ended strong, dropping him with that elbow. Right, I believe that's right. Fourth round, he just wrestled him to death. Fifth round, <clears throat> more or less the same thing. Tokov couldn't get him off. Tokov's gas tank hurt him. That's something that like you've noticed in the past. If you've seen Tokov fights, his gas tank is not terrible, but I don't know that it's suited well for five rounds. He can usually be much more of a force through three. Um so your gas tank was a bit of a problem. He had good punching power, he had good striking, but I think that uh, once he became a little flat-footed 
and and not able to be as reactive in that third round when he got stung with some of those hard rights. Everything just began to slow, and he couldn't really ever get get back out into another gear. He couldn't catch his breath really. He couldn't he couldn't put uh, he couldn't put Eblin on the back foot enough. And he was on the back foot, metaphorically and literally, co- constantly after that. You know, he just couldn't ever look back. So I think stealing that second round in the third, or I should say, taking the second round, stealing the third, and then just mopping him up after that. And then in that fifth round, get out of here with the suplex, with the release, no less. I mean, no, I don't. I think he held on to him. I don't think there was a release, but uh, drove him, I mean, right into the canvas amazing amazing flair so i would like to see uh, eblin continue to work on his overall game in particular the striking i think obviously the wrestling is pretty far uh advanced so bring the other parts of his game up overall fight iq working on working on all the pieces of his game with a particular focus on striking the other part too is like getting to dominant ground positions for for ground and pound he, he's good at setting up positions to stifle and ride not so much for maximum punishment, which is understandable because there's a trade-off inherent there. But you know, getting that equation right and better, and dude, he's off to the he's off to the races. Um, he's absolutely, I think, top five middleweight in the world, bare minimum, bare minimum. Um, and you know, you're gonna look at part of his game and be like, it's a little. There's nothing super flashy about it, right? There's no part of it that's super flashy. It's the combo of everything. It's a, and, it, and it's deceptive, too. It's deceptive to watch a guy that big um, who doesn't have super flashy striking or, like, crazy submission ability still kind of take it to these guys. Uh, and I just... I It's, a, it's, it's, this, it's this combination of um, having... His ace in the hole is the cardio and the wrestling combined. But, 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 dude, he didn't even really use that until much of, like... I don't recall that being a huge part of the first two rounds even. That really didn't get going until as like a real thing he could hold on to. I think he got a takedown in the second. I don't have any stats because Bellator doesn't offer stats. There's another thing that about Bellator that drives me a little bit crazy, if I can be honest. Like they don't have stats that they compile and share, and it drives me up the wall. But here we are. So I don't, ha- I don't have any stats. But he got a takedown really didn't do a whole lot with it. But really the takedowns didn't get to become a meaningful part, I think, until the third, a little bit, in, maybe even the second half of the third, something like that. So, um, But even before that, you know, it also he has to make adjustments. Like, dude, he got beat up a little bit early. You know, his initial read, his initial way of doing it, um, he, had, he had to kind of deal with it. His eye was swollen shut. He had to persevere and through. And then once he found his reins and once he found... I think some of the timing and then what the setups were that worked better, he just went back to them and uh, that was it. And again, that right hand off the one-two, and it was the timing too because the the looping hands, they take longer to travel, so you can kind of get out of the way of them and you can anticipate them coming or whatever. You can roll and make big motions. But the one-two, bop, bop, and it's not like a one-two, like dot, dot. It's dot, dot. It's like right behind it. Switching that switching that timing up. Like George Foreman on Mark, Mark, Michael Moore. Go watch the timing on Foreman's one-two that sits him down as Bop, bop. It's right behind each other. You pop some, not quite with the same speed, but an off-speed kind of rhythm, and it catches them constantly, constantly in that fight. So, that was supposed to be, in that co-main event role, that was supposed to be Vadim Nemkov taking on 
Yoel uh, Romero, but it all fell through. This was the kind of substitute. For a substitute fight, given the circumstances, I don't mind it. I thought it was fine. And Eblin getting some promotion, I think, is what you want. Um, and him ending it with a little bit of a dramatic flair is great. But I believe that there is work to be done to make sure that that guy gets the credit that he deserves, quite frankly. So more more should be done to that effect. Uh, how about we talk about, very quickly if we can, the opening bout at welterweight. Brendan Ward taking on Sabah Homasi. He stops Sabah Homasi at 134 of round two via TKO head kick and then punches. Dude, Sabah Homasi was tearing Brendan Ward up in that first round. Punches he was walking into. He was getting leg kicked to death. Um, and a lot of the stuff that Ward was throwing was missing. Now, towards the end, he had Ward had a nice flurry. And he was able to slow things down because what, Homasi would throw these wild strikes, slip, and then try and, like, you know scramble out of it and then Ward would get his back and he couldn't do a whole lot with it you know in terms of like getting actual chokes but it slowed Homasi down it slowed the fight down and then he gets a little bit a little bit of a flurry to like a more tired Homasi second round comes out Ward lands big punches again and then a head kick that drops Homasi or at least hurts him he kind of falls over and then finishes him off with punches tries to get a choke couldn't get it and then follows up with more punches and elbows and everything else. And Homasi's a bloody mess. So first of all, Ward versus Homasi is your first fight to return to CBS since what the Strike Force brawl, basically in Nashville. First fight back is a, a, a blood fest. I mean, it wasn't the bloodiest fight you've ever seen, but it was pretty bloody. Loved it, perfect. That's exactly what MMA should be doing. So that was great. And then for Ward, man, this is a guy at 34 years of age who just punted on basically five-plus years of his career. Even before that, he wasn't taking great care of himself in the way that he should have been. He lost all that time with jail and rehab and everything else and was losing this fight early. Homasi was landing the heavier, cleaner strikes. He was the one who had great uh, takedown defense early, uh, great ability to cause separation. Like He was doing great stuff. And then, again, we talked about Ward, getting in the back, taking advantage of the mistakes, putting some punches together, finding a range, keep walking Homasi down, slow him down a little bit. And then once he slowed down, the big punches from Ward, Ward's always been a big puncher. They, they caught up with him, they landed, he lands the head kick, he follows up. Just a great, great job by Brendan Ward, man. And I even said this on Friday, like, I don't know how far he's going to go, man. The guy missed a lot of time, you know, and he'll tell you that. He missed a lot of time. They're, they're, that's they're, Some cost has to be paid there. There always is. There's no such thing as a free lunch in this life. But, you know, I know that he has put himself in the best place he could possibly be to get something out of it. And the two guys he had beaten since he got back to his career – to resume things, you know, they weren't great names. And Sobaho Masi, you know, is he the is he the number one welterweight in the world? No, but he's a tough guy. He was certainly a much tougher guy than who Ward had been fighting. And he was comes from a good camp. And he was sticking it to Ward early for Ward to overcome all of that and then come back and get the stoppage win, man. And then bring in Jean-Claude Van Damme for a very awkward hug. But the guy he brought in, Mighty Matt, who he was talking about, that's the guy who founded High Rollers BJJ. Shouts to Mighty Matt. That dude is super cool. Super cool. Um, we He invited us out to his uh, High Rollers place out in Vegas. So me, BC, and a couple of the Showtime guys, we all went out, some of the Showtime producers, we all went out there, and he treated us like fucking kings, man. So that dude is just, you know, cool person, tries to do right by everybody. Um, I think he's also involved. I think he's like he runs. You know, Nick and Nate Diaz have that game up nutrition thing. 
uh, I think he runs that. So, you know, some cool people all the way around. So that was cool to see as well. But great, great win by Brennan Ward. Let's talk very briefly, if we can, about some of the highlights from the preliminary card. I won't get into too many of these, but we have to talk about it. I, I mean, I was killing CBS for not putting on the broadcast, so we got to mention it here. Lorenz Larkin, are you kidding me? Apparently, this was a welterweight fight um, against, they got him ranked at middleweight, so it's a thing. Against Muhammad, I'm going to say Berkamov. I don't know the proper pronunciation. Via KO with a fucking elbow. Did y'all see this? First of all, I want to point out something about Lorenz Larkin. He got signed by UFC. I think, he, excuse me, he got signed by Bellator. I believe his last win in UFC was against, it was back to back wins over Jorge Masvidal, and then he stops Neil Magny. Then he goes to Bellator and fights Douglas Lima and loses. Then he fights Paul Daly and gets knocked out. Terrible. I mean, his start to Bellator could not have gone worse. And he was like a prized acquisition. They brought him out there for that Bellator NYC dais and everything. Like, this was a big deal. Like, yes, of course, Larkin had fought in Strike Force under Scott Coker, but this was a huge deal for him to go back home. This was 2016, only two years after Scott took over. Bellator still trying to do big things. And he just... It just didn't work. Like, none of it worked, or at least early. So then he fights Fernando Gonzalez. Doesn't look right. Then he fights Ion Pascu. Looks okay. He barely beats Koreshkov, but that's a tough win. He beats Kaita Nakamura, who's an underrated name. A little bit long in the tooth, but a good one. He barely beats Rafael Carvalho. He beats Kyle Stewart in Paris, but Kyle Stewart, like, took that fight on short notice. And then he has the illegal, excuse me, it was the no contest, the illegal uh, elbow from his fight with Mukhamed Burkamov at Bellator 283 back in July. So this was like the rematch. I'm just pointing out, this guy is slowly, he dug himself a huge hole after the Magni fight and has slowly kind of clawed out and then had this performance. How did he set it up? He goes for a punch, it misses, but he ends up overshooting it. And then as he retracts his hand, he pulls the collar tie and then he had the outside elbow. So what does he do? He fucking snaps that, that dude down and turns him. He turns him. So what does Ber- Berkamov or Berkamov do? He takes his foot, his right foot, and plants it on the ground to stop getting turned and to balance himself. Well, dude, if someone is turning you and you plant to stop, <laughs> you are setting up. If I if I turn you from here, from my left to my right, and then you stop and plant, so I can't turn you, I'm gonna keep coming with this left. Bah. And you are driving yourself back into it. You are driving yourself back into it. That's exactly what he did. He fucking snaps and turns this dude who plants his weight to stop. And fucking Larkin just whips that elbow. As soon as the guy plants, he keeps going, whips that elbow. Actually, he waits a beat on him. So he gets him on the half beat, actually. But then still, same same physics apply. The guy stops. He's going into it. It's you know two, almost two forces essentially colliding. Brings that elbow over the top and fucking smokes this dude. I mean, smoked him. F- goes flat. He actually did like the Ric Flair where he kind of like took a step and then fell. But once he fell, eyes wide open, like, you know, completely out. Like, lights on, no one's home. What One of the best knockouts from a standing elbow you'll ever see. I know it's only February, but that's you can add that at least to the list of like knockouts of the year content, contenders or knockout of the year contenders, I should say. Um, amazing. And he, by the way, was the underdog Lorenz Larkin was in this fight. Like I'm telling you, his stock has dropped to a dramatic degree. When was the last time you saw like a 
Lorenz Larkin interview. What was the last time he was part of something like in the news cycle? You just his name has just almost been forgotten to a degree, um, and that's been a part because of like the way the Bellator run has gone. It he had signed with all his hype and went. Phew, and he just had this slow, weird, kind of quiet climb back. Well, dude, if this is the announcement that he's back and ready to start fighting other elite top guys, I, I can't think of a better commercial than the one he starred in today. F- phenomenal. Phenomenal. And, you know, another thing about it is, you know, keep your hands up on the clinch break. But the way he does it, he turns him and he gets the guy. Dude, Larkin is waiting for the guy to do that. It's the same thing in wrestling. If I snap a guy down, what's the reaction going to be? If I snap you down, what's the reaction going to be? From a col- from a elbow tie and a collar tie. Ha! Snap you down. The reaction is going to be na- from the normal person is going to want to, if I'm pulling you down, what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to go up. And when they go up, you hit them, you just time the double. So you snap them down waiting for the rebound, and then you pop the double in between. That's the same thing he does here. He pulls the guy waiting for him to step and all that does is boop set him up for the elbow and he smoked him he smoked him he completely shut the lights off with one shot it was brutal very very job well done kudos all of that to Lorenz Larkin tonight just an absolutely massive massive win that should have been shown on the main broadcast. Henry Corrales gets a nice win. Ali Isayev and then Steve Mallory had a, a weird fight where Isayev kind of wins the first round, gets demolished in the second round, and then wins the third kind of like in a very boring ho-hum, top control, lamprey kind of way. So it ends up being a draw because the second round was an easy 10-8. Um, anyway, Chris Gonzalez defeating Max Roshkoff. I might save that one. You know what else? That's the last one I'll go on. I'll save the rest. Um. Yeah. Okay. I remember when Usman Nurmagomedov beat Chris Gonzalez. I had people being like, "Dude, Nurmagomedov's not beating anybody good." And I'm like, "You're out of your fucking mind." Uh, Gonzalez is a team alpha male guy. You know, NCAA All American, the whole nine yards, great athlete. Yeah, like it's hard to look good against Usman Nurmagomedov. Okay. But that doesn't mean you're not a good fighter. And he goes in here against Max Roshkoff, who, by the way, hit an amazing, like, turning inside arm throw. He hit uh, he hit an amazing duck under to get the back. But Chris Gonzalez is a great striker. I think he hit he, – he was able to connect, I think, with the right hand. I have to go back and look. That also kind of landed – it was legal, but kind of landed in the back of the head and then just polished him off. And, dude, Gonzalez, was his down blocking was excellent in this contest. Like, Roshkov had to really dig to get any takedowns and couldn't do a whole lot with him when he got him. Um, and, dude, that's a very good grappler. He's very much reborn. I still think highly of his future over Extreme Couture. But this is my point. It's like everyone was like, oh, Gonzalez is a tomato can. Get the fuck out of here with that, dude. Chris Gonzalez is a very good fighter. Here's what happens, man. There's a lot of people who actually don't watch Bellator. They kind of half-ass watch Bellator. And then they make these these grand proclamations about who is there and how good it is. No, Bellator is not an equivalent organization to the UFC. Not even close. But you can't let that get in the way of identifying what are actual like good fighters. Like if You, you have to give them their due if they are owed it. Um, and, of course, how that matches across any kind of aisle, one or UFC or PFL, we can get into those debates. But if you see a good fighter doing good things, you should say as much. Chris Gonzalez is a good fighter. He's a very good fighter. And this was a very good win that he was able to get. All right? Um, 
I don't have anything else. There's I don't know if there's any bonuses. I mean, I don't know if Bellator does that. But uh, overall, I guess we'll see how things go. For uh, I'll say this. You know, it's almost kind of ho-hum that, that MMA returned to CBS. This was a big counterculture thing when it happened the last time. Let me tell you, it was a huge deal. It was a shake-up in sports. And today, it was just another day, which I think is kind of a good thing, right? Success. Like, we don't have to constantly fight for every inch of um, space to, 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 to be treated as a, a sport worth celebrating, worth broadcasting, worth being a part of. So that's really kind of nice. Um and last time, like, they would have weird crews for, like, the CBS shows. Like, Gus Johnson was doing them. It's like, why is he here? I heard they stuck with, you know, the reliable people who do all of their broadcasts, which is probably the right call. I, I was glad to see that, too. Like, they didn't try to go too crazy with it. They wanted it to look nice, it seems to me, but not be, like, over the top. They didn't want to They didn't want to have, like, the grandest show ever. They just wanted to have a good, solid, meaningful, impactful show. I think they got that. Whether or not they got the viewership for it very much remains to be seen. You know, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. So we'll see. Um, that is it for me tonight, I think. Yeah, that's it for me tonight. We'll call it an early one here. Um, back on Monday, and then we're off to London. Yeah, that's it. So we got a lot of stuff going on. So thank you guys so much for watching. Thumbs up, hit subscribe, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys on Monday with the wonderful Brian Campbell. And uh, until then, enjoy the fights. Oh, get some sleep. Do that. How about that? Bye, guys. See you all later.